0: Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast and my name is Dr. Andrew Trasida
1: working for Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. I'm joined by my colleague Peter Bagshaw, GP in Somerset and Commissioning Group and Mental Health Lead.
0: And our, we're very pleased to welcome today our guest Dr. Lorna Stewart who is who's consulting consultant clinical psychologist at Somerset Foundation Trust. Gosh that's a mouthful Lorna, is it, have I got that right?
2: It is, it is, yes. Yes, that's absolutely right.
0: Well, welcome very much. But having given you the title, do explain what that means and what you do, please.
2: So I am a clinical psychologist. That means that I work directly with people. Um, but the focus of my work at the moment is much more around colleague well-being. So I'm not seeing patients at the moment, but what I am doing is I'm uh, working with our colleagues to help them specifically improve their well-being.
0: Thank you, because we're recording at a time of, of national crisis and difficulties, and so it's important uh, to think about the bigger issues of of what's going on. But I hope that the, the principles we're going to talk about re- apply long term at all times. Um, so, what what sort of things have have you? identified as being important at, at this time, Lorna? And what, what what are the, these phases of, of, of change that we're going through?
2: So I think one of the things that I had been thinking about before we came on here to talk, I was thinking, so what what do we mean by wellbeing? And I wondered whether actually we ought to really start with that first point about what do we mean when we say wellbeing? Wellbeing sometimes a little bit of a fluffy term um, and it's sometimes a little bit unclear what we mean. So there's um, some really useful frameworks that we can do that use the, to think about well-being. And there's something called the Wheel of Well-Being. And I suppose what that does is that enables us to think really holistically about all of those factors that contribute to our well-being.
0: Is that something like a, a circular wheel of life where you've got various domains such as work, home, um, finances, spirituality, relationships, fun uh and hobbies and maybe some others maybe you'd add some others onto that peter on that wheel of life
1: yes i i i'm interested to hear i shall just sit back and and hear what you've got to say lorna until and, and like, i chip <laughs> in
0: so it, it helps us explore various facets of our life and then then what does it do next
2: so I think once we understand our various facets, what's really important is, is to understand that as humans we, we need to be fulfilled in all of those facets for our well-being to be uh, very optimised and for us to feel happy in life. Happiness is a very nebulous thing, it's very difficult to get hold of, as is well-being, but the research tells us that if we are relatively fulfilled in all of the categories across well-being, such as you've just outlined, then our well-being is likely to be to be high. So I think it's really important that, that we don't just consider one factor of our well-being, for instance, such as our physical health, but also our emotional health as well, our financial health, our recreation, our personal growth, our relationships with our friends, our family, our community, our significant others, our financial well-being, our career well-being, and um, how we interact with our environment as well.
1: Obviously, at the moment, things are very difficult and a lot of people don't have control over certain areas of their emotional well-being. What what tips would you give to people who are struggling to try and improve their overall well-being?
2: I think one of the things that's happened recently is that some of our normal coping strategies that we put in place to enable our well-being has been restricted So for some people, for instance, if they've been um, very active gym members um, in terms of supporting their physical well-being, the gyms have been shut. And so people have had to find different ways to adapt or some of those mechanisms have just simply disappeared for them. So not being able to have contact with family or friends. And I think um, being able to adapt um, and recognise where some of those elements have fallen away is a really important thing. Um, there's a the really nice five-step model that NHS.UK has put together on their website, um, and they talk about the five steps of well-being. Um, and they talk about um, the importance of connecting with other people, about being physically active, learning new skills. Lots of people seem to have learned new skills. I think there's a rash of people doing jigsaws and crochet and getting out and about and getting out on their bikes as families. And then there's some um, other things around um, giving to others, which is very interesting in terms of um, we get some of our well-being and our sense of fulfilment from altruism and, and giving to other people. Um, so it isn't all about what we do for ourselves.
1: And that's one of the interesting things that's happened, hasn't it, in current times? Is that you've seen this this outbreak of kindness and of people trying to to raise money and help other people, and that's been a really positive thing and is there any way we can contribute to that
0: there's something that came to mind which is five ways to well-being we've got but what you've just highlighted is that there's a sixth aspect which is in the act of giving and the act of, of of supporting others and the act of kindness what's happening is that we are being kind uh, and maybe being compassionate and Actually, you know, being compassionate and being kind is actually a very selfish thing in some ways. Now, uh, people listening may think, what's he, what on earth is he talking about there? It's selfish because it is the most powerful thing you can do to um, be grateful and to be in wonder or in awe to appreciate something. It gives us the most tremendous hit, hit within our neurochemical systems of, of endorphins, of oxytocin and other positive uh, chemicals which help us feel well. So not only are we actually of service to others outwards in giving, but if we're grateful for it, uh, then we actually benefit our own health. Uh, I hope that's not too uh, too um, naive to to think like that, Borna. Not at
2: all. I think um, I think it's really good that um, we are able to make that connection with our our, our chemistry as well that actually by doing things like sport or even acts of kindness can help improve our own internal chemistry. I think it's, it's very significant. Absolutely.
0: And I've just sort of mentioned compassion. Have you any any other thoughts? You know, you're you're working in a big organisation of the NHS, which is dedicated to service and compassion. And we all like giving, but we can get fatigued by that as well. And so there's something about self-compassion. Would you like to tell us a bit more about your your thoughts on that from a professional point of view?
2: Particularly around self-compassion or compassion to others? Both. Both, yeah. So... um, Shall I start with the, the self compassion? I think it's very easy, um, especially as as a health professional. You spend your whole career caring for other people, um, and sometimes we're the last people to ask for help because we're so good at giving out the help. Um, so there are lots of things that you can do in terms of self compassion. I think um, being able to recognise when you're struggling um, is a starting point. Definitely, lots of people. Um, keep going and keep going and keep going. And that's where you see fatigue kicking in.
1: Can I interject there? What should people look out for that may be warning signs that things aren't so good and they need to do something about it?
2: So I think there's some very um, clear indicators in terms of the very basics in terms of perhaps not sleeping so well, perhaps not eating so well, having a bit of a lack of motivation, feeling quite snappy or angry. Or moody with people, just those very early indicators that your mood isn't OK and that you're not, not functioning in quite the way that you would normally function. That things are off kilter, that you're not quite yourself.
0: And in fact, there's, a, there's another phase of it, which may be even earlier sometimes, because when we go on to fight and flight, uh, when we go on to danger, we produce adrenaline, and the first one of the first effects of adrenaline on our mood is that we actually feel quite good, but um along with that slightly slight increase in mood, we actually lose the ability to see the bigger picture, so we tend to focus on narrow targets and that's when i I worry sometimes um, Uh, looking after colleagues, that we lose insight into our own needs, which is, in in one way, which is what you're describing, Lorna. We we lose our own insight, and Peter was asking about those early warning signs.
2: Yes, completely. And I think that leads on neatly to how we might have compassion to other people, because it can be very difficult to recognise that you're not okay, um, and that perhaps, because we've all all got a tendency to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and to just keep going, So I think um, having compassion for others and noticing when other people are struggling is a really good first step as well.
1: So let's suppose we've got to that important first step of recognising that either we're struggling ourselves or people we're close to are struggling. What are the practical steps that you'd recommend that we do?
2: So I think um, some practical steps might be in terms of um, taking a little bit of time to reflect about some of those things that's making us feel a bit less resilient. Um, There will be external factors and there will be internal factors so thinking about what those stresses are that are influencing how we're thinking. They might be if we go return all the way back to our well-being wheel that can be quite a good way of evaluating what some of those external stresses might be. Have we got money worries for instance? Lots of people at the moment have had very difficult financial situations happening. People have been furloughed, people have lost their jobs, people's roles are very uncertain in in these uncertain times. So perhaps picking out some of those stresses that might be making you feel that way.
1: And you mentioned that some of the stresses are things we can do something about and some of them aren't. And a lot of patients say to me they're they find it very helpful to try and focus on the things that they can do something about and just part the other things do you find that a useful tool
2: yes absolutely i think um, one of the things on the nhs.uk um, website around the steps to to well-being is about paying attention to being in the present moment what we know is that um, activities like mindfulness are really good or focusing our our attention in the present moment. So worrying less about the past and things that we can't change, and not focusing on the stresses and the worries and the anxiety of what the future might hold, because none of us are able to live into the
1: future. And I think this is something that's come up at practically every podcast we've done, hasn't it, Andrew? So can you give us some tips, Lorna, as to how we increase our mindfulness, what that means in practice? A lot of people know the word, but Unnecessarily necessarily able to put it into practice.
2: So I think there are some really good things that you can do. And there's a whole range. I think what I like about mindfulness is it's so accessible. So once you begin to learn the techniques of mindfulness, you can do it at any time and in any place. So the techniques of mindfulness really are finding a place where you can be still and you can be quiet and you're not totally distracted and noticing the things around you. So keeping your mind focused on the present. So that might be focusing on the sights or the sounds or the tastes or the smells. And every time you notice your thoughts wandering to another place, to just bring them back gently to focusing on the scent on the, um, on the uh, present and to centre those thoughts back. And it's a very grounding experience. And you can do it for as little as a minute or as, as long as you like. You can do it for it as you know, people might meditate for an hour or so. But uh, being able to just pull your thoughts away from some of those more difficult thoughts of the past or the, or the future and focusing on the present.
0: So paying attention to the arising moment in a non-judgmental way. And um, something we've done, one or two podcasts, if I can just invite us all to, uh, as long as you're not driving, if you're listening, as long as you're not using heavy machinery or driving, perhaps if we put our feet flat on the floor, allow our spines to be comfortable and just change our breathing pattern to use our tummy muscles, our breathing, uh, our our abdomen, uh, our diaphragms, and just to take... Two or three slow, regular, rhythmic, comfortable breaths in and out. And that allows us to calm down that that chatter of the sympathetic nervous system and drop us towards parasympathetic, which makes that mindfulness more accessible.
1: Uh, You can carry on driving again now, if if that's what you're doing while listening. Please be mindful on the road. And if people aren't able to do that themselves, we know that it's available, for instance, through Somerset Talking Therapies and through Talking Therapies more widely. Um, Are there any other resources, Lorna, that you can think of that people might turn to if they want to learn the techniques of mindfulness?
2: Yes, there are lots of apps that are available at the moment and there are lots of YouTube clips it's become very accessible, so um, if you just search, um, I probably can't advertise any platform, can I? <laughs> but if you search on the app store somewhere, um, you will be able to, to find a number of free apps as well. So they are they are freely available for people to download. And equally, there are lots of guided ones on, on YouTube too.
0: And if you work for the NHS, if you go to people.nhs, uh, people.nhs.help forward slash help, uh, there's various resources which include some of those uh, 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 on
1: that platform. Uh, Peter, and I, I was just going to add, I've I've done, tried quite a few of these, obviously, and and to me, it doesn't really matter which way you approach it. You approach it. Some people come to it through meditation. Some people come to it through hypnotherapy. Some for some people, it's um, simple mindfulness. Other people, it's just exercise and things that. Keep them in the moment because they have got to be. Uh, would you agree? It it's, it doesn't matter which way you get to the mindfulness. It's it's achieving that that state of mind, that flow, happiness, as it's sometimes described.
2: Yes, definitely, definitely. It doesn't matter what what route you come to it by, whether it's part of your yo- the end of a yoga program, for instance, or whether you're having it as part of formal therapy. I think it's such, such an accessible tool. That, that you can apply and use in all sorts of circumstances. But I, I think it doesn't matter how you come about it.
0: Definitely. And perhaps being in nature helps us be mindful. As you say, at the moment, it's difficult for us to do some exercises, whether it's at the gym or whatever, but... Uh, In Somerset, at least, we're privileged to have some lovely countryside. And in in, in our towns, Taunton's got lovely parks, Yeovil's got parks, and elsewhere. And just connecting with nature, being out near a tree. Somebody said to me once that trees seem to spiritualise a landscape, and I'm not quite sure what that means. But there's something very special about being in a landscape that's got lots of trees that you can see, especially when the leaves are, 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 are shimmering in the wind. And it must strike something deep within our soul. I don't know quite how or what. but. Uh... <laughs> so what other um, aspects would you like to share with us about uh, well-being? Um, is there anything about either personal resilience or, or the processes that we're going through or how we cope with crisis?
2: So I think personal resilience is a really interesting concept, isn't it? Because... Resilience is something that's a word that's banded around a lot um, and it implies that it's something that you're either born with, you know, I'm a much more resilient person than you or I'm, I'm a less resilient person than that and, it, and it's a very interesting concept. I think some people are born with some element of resilience, but resilience is something that is shaped very much by our our experiences and fluctuates. It waxes and wanes. It can wax and wane over the course of a day or a minute or a moment, our our levels of resilience. But what what we know about resilience is that there's a bit of an equation that resilience equals coping and plus grit, plus emotional intelligence, plus sense-making. So there's a real formula in terms of what we think um, resilience equals.
0: So resilience is coping plus grit—that's that's determination plus emotional intelligence and plus sense making—and presumably that needs a, needs a sort of a stable platform of of a level of physical health and energy. So we have to have slept, we have to have attended to ourselves, we have to have put some fuel in the tank because if we're kind of trying to do that with the tank on empty, it's it's not going to work. Peter, you had a question, a comment there.
1: I was just thinking, coming back to what we were saying earlier, that in the same way that, as you were saying, different people have different innate levels of resilience, depending on their their genes and their their early learning. But we, we can't do anything about that level that we're given. All we can do is change how we deal with things now. So, to me, the, the critical thing is not to worry about whether we feel that we're resilient or not, it's to learn techniques to make us more resilient than we are now.
2: Yes, absolutely. And there, there are some things that we can we can do to try and improve our levels of resilience. So finding a real sense of purpose about what we're doing is a way that we can increase our resilience. I think when, when we're feeling a bit lost in the world, that can be a very difficult thing. We can feel less resilient. Um, when we are have a very negative mental attitude, I think that can um, affect our levels of resilience. And the way that we appraise a situation is really significant because if we um, are always looking at life through a very negative lens, then that will affect our levels of resilience. It will be much harder to cope.
1: And that comes back to another technique that we raise on most of these, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, which is really just one of the techniques of trying to look at the positive look at the glass half full trying not to negatively interpret things isn't it
2: absolutely and there are lots of resources for people to be able to access cbt or cognitive behavior therapy and in Somerset, you can refer through yourself for cognitive behavior therapy through the talking therapies um site and you can make your own referral you don't even need to go to your gp for that
0: So just changing the subject very slightly and broadening it, um, we've been going through a real time of crisis and people have been locked down, uh, almost in prison, um, in some ways it may feel, at at homes, sometimes um, with quite a number of people, sometimes with small children, and it's probably been quite like a pressure cooker for for some people, any any thoughts as 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 that's changing, perhaps away from pressure cooker, but may come back again. And and, and any thoughts on on what, what 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 we should expect? Because we all expect to be okay, but um, sometimes we're not okay, as it were.
2: Yes, and I'm I'm really curious about your your pressure cooker analogy. Are you imagining that that we're releasing all the stress that we've been holding for this time?
0: Uh, yes, uh, to a certain extent. And when lockdown and um, ceased to a certain extent in early July, um, um, it, it seemed as though there was some behaviour on the beaches and, and, and other places, which was a, a little bit um, interesting. And so... W- they talk about uh, people who've been on military exercise and um, decompressing uh, and and letting off, and we talk about letting off steam. Uh, steam engines do that. And I, uh, I know the West Somerset Railway well, and that, that happens there. You see the engines letting off steam when the pressure gets too high. And I don't know if you've got any, any comments on that. I know Peter's like to say something there as well.
1: I'd just like to add in that for a lot of people, although it's been difficult under lockdown, actually for a lot of other people, the the that coming to an end and having to be out in the world where everything is a little bit strange and difficult can also be a pressure. So techniques for those people as well would be helpful, please, Lorna. We're not asking much today.
2: <laughs> I think we've seen um, a number of different ways that people have reacted and responded to to this, and there hasn't been a right or a wrong response. I think we, we often use the word um, unprecedented but it really has been an unprecedented experience and so there isn't a right or a wrong way to be responding. Um, We've seen a massive wave of emotion that has changed across the timeline that we've been having. So initially we saw lots of fear of contamination and lots of um, anxiety around what does that mean for me, what does that mean for my family and to some extent um, when we were all in lockdown, it was very easy. We had a we had a decision. We had a a, a thing, to, a framework to hang our thoughts and our behaviour on. In that we were just at home. We had one thing to do, which was to stay at home. And um, as as lockdown has been released, actually it's made com- decisions much more complicated. About do I go out or don't I go out? Who might I socialise with? Who can't I socialise with? What can I do and what can't I do? And I think those range of feelings and, and behaviours have, have come out.
1: And presumably the the techniques that you were talking about earlier of living in the moment are helpful whatever the situation. So going over stuff that's that's past that we can't change isn't helpful. Worrying about what might or might not happen in the future isn't helpful, is it? If we just focus our, our mental energy on, on the present, then that can be useful in every situation, do you think?
2: Yes, absolutely. And certainly when we've got complex decisions about do we send our children back to school or not, am I able to go to work? If I go to work, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be secure? Can I go to the supermarket? Those are lots of complex decisions and and we having some way of coping with some of those um, complex decisions is is very important and grounding yourself in the moment and using techniques like mindfulness is, is very helpful. Equally We talked previously about a very positive lens that we might look through. We can, instead of um, appraising the situation, thinking, "Well, I can't do this and I can't do that, and the rules tell me I can't do this, thinking about what's going well, we can do. So it's very much an empowerment sort of way of thinking.
1: My parents used to say sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, which I suspect is the a King James Bible version of saying try and live in the moment because there's enough going on now to to burden us without thinking about all the stuff that might happen or might not happen in the future.
2: And there's lots of thoughts that we can have about um, appreciating um, the things that we have got. Um, and holding on to the, to the things that we do appreciate in life, I think it's quite a helpful technique before you go off to sleep to try and think of three things that you're, you're grateful for in a day. It's a nice way of, of having uh, good dreams at the end of the night.
0: And if you write those down at some point late in the day, if you write down three things every day in a little journal or a little notebook or something, by the end of the month, you'll have 90. And by the end of the year, you'll have over a thousand things that you're grateful for for lots of good stuff in the bank um, we've talked about five ways to well-being and if you look on the NHS website and look for five ways to mental well-being or five steps to mental well-being that you'll find that just to mention a, a couple of other resources briefly that uh, Somerset Mindline is is running a 24-hour um, crisis and support line at the moment in Somerset 01823 276 892 that's Taunton two seven six eight nine two and at times we can all need help we can all feel desperate and sometimes we can feel very desperate please remember the samaritans are always available throughout the year throughout the day and throughout the night uh, 116123 free from a mobile uh, or on their website and you can email them or text them as, as well so that's the sort of the the, the key issues to remember for, for difficult times. But as we finish in the last few moments, what else would you what else would you like to share with us, Lorna?
2: I think the last thing that I would like to share is that we've all been through a very turbulent time and I think it's very important to think about um sense making, which is one of the things that helps us with our personal resilience and the stories that we tell ourselves about what's happened, the stories that we talk about in our families or with our children. And I wonder whether there's something a very positive narrative that despite Covid really touching people and there being some real tragedy that there might be some things that we can be grateful for That in the way that our lives have changed, and the, and the stories in the sense that we make of what's what's happened.
1: And I think that's a fantastic message to end on, that whatever the situation, you can always find something positive in it.
0: Well, thank you both very much indeed for, for today. Lorna, thank you so much for coming along. Peter, a pleasure always to be with you, and, uh, and look forward to joining our listeners next time. All the
1: best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunts Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.